As we go to um, Scripture this morning, what I will say as, as Bev gets ready to read is that what you're going to hear this morning is probably the key central theme for the Gospel of Matthew. Why did Jesus come? Why did he do what he did? And this is that defining piece right here in this chapter, in these three or four verses in the Gospel of Matthew. See if you can pick it out. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. In or out. I've already talked about the fact that, do you remember junior high? And I think for junior high, for many of us who have been in junior high or now middle school, those were some tough years. I don't know what God's intention was for that period of our lives. God and I are going to have a very significant conversation, if I get to heaven, um, around some of that. Because what is it? I mean, look at what happens. Your feet get too big. You go uncoordinated, your teeth do weird things, your, your voice even, particularly for young men, your voice begins to crack. It's just an odd time. But for some of us, and I really am hoping for sympathy this morning, <laughs> unapologetically, I just want to just put that out there right now, particularly those times in either PE or in the neighborhood when it was time to choose up teams. Remember those times? Oh, yeah. Uh, For instance, uh, Bill was one of the biggest kids in our neighborhood, and we also went to school together. He was an incredible athlete, even in junior high. Patty was the other one, incredible athlete, one of the strongest and biggest kids in our neighborhood. And so they always were the captains, right? And so the whole neighborhood would gather in, and we lived right up here on 172nd and 8th Avenue, right over in Bellevue, uh, right by St. Peter's United Methodist Church. 
an amazing place to grow up on some levels because we were surrounded by kids. When it came to this stuff, I just wanted to go hide. I will tell you that right now because this is how significant this was for me, and this is not just about my own therapy, okay? I just want that clear as well. I remember the names of the kids. For instance, you ready? I'm going to read them just so I don't forget anybody. So Bill would always be the first to choose, right? And it went something like this as they traded back and forth. Ken went first. Ken was an amazing young man. Um, his last name was Pizzolatto. I think that goes without saying. Then came Julie, and then Jimmy, then Hank was chosen, then Tom, then my sister Judy. I just want you to think about that for a second. <laughs> just, just, just for a second, just get that around you. Two years younger than me. I'm just saying. Then came Terry, and then her twin sister Mary, then Bob, then little Bob. I'm just saying. Then came Kevin, and then Lida, and then Shelly, and then Dorky Debbie. And finally, every single time came that shake of the head. Armand, stop laughing. So <laughs> came the shake of the head. And there, there's Hank saying, okay, you know what? I had to take him last time. <laughs> Are you feeling it? I had to take him last time. Your turn. And so she would say, fine, I'll take him this time. But I want to remind you that next time he's yours. Just saying, it's all true. Big ears, small feet, crackling voice, too small to do any good, somewhat uncoordinated. Boy, I talk about feeling left out, or even feeling out. Feeling out in the midst of those times. I, I had an older brother who was really, truly a phenomenal athlete, even in these years. He made sure that I knew what out meant. Those moments of embarrassment, those moment, moments of, of the memories of experiences in our lives, you're in or you're out, and just reminders of how out some of us were. I mean, I told you the nicknames, I told those to the kids. So those are the out pieces. Having spent seven years in Southern California, on the other, complete other end of the spectrum, are those who feel like they're more in than anybody. For those who are football fans, the one name that keeps popping up for me is, is um, Terrell. Oh, I just lost it. Um, Terrell Owens, T.O. That, that he, he was a wide receiver. Uh, I think he played for Cincinnati. He came to Seattle for a little while. He believed himself to be God's gift to football. He believed himself to be the best of the best of the best and that nobody was quite as in as he was. I watched, um, Dorothy and I watch Ellen a, a lot, and particularly when she's been sick. You know, Miley Cyrus was on the one that we watched yesterday. I, I have so many concerns about this young woman, partly because she feels like she's more in than anybody, but for her, in means less and less and less clothes. So, you know, I'm just praying that she doesn't go farther than she's already gone. I think about those that we knew even in the church in Santa Monica and some of the bizarre characters who were the leading folks in, in the film industry, who believed themselves to be, again, more in than anyone, and that no one else quite measured up. Amazing how in they felt. Today, even in churches, uh, really throughout the country, for some reason we continue to play that game. Who's in? 
and who's out. We feel as though we have the right to make the decision, compare each other, pick those who will be on the team, believing that we are in, so we choose those most like us to also be in the in group. All too often we judge. Who is deserving enough to enter a place like this? Or even beyond entering it, who should be in positions of power? I've been in a lot of churches over the years, and I'm not just talking about Methodist. In some places, the in-group are, are, are men, and that women are not allowed to be in the in-group. Because the Bible says, women, you shall not speak in church. And whatever the Bible says has to be true. In some other places, it's those who have earned the right and been in the church for decades who are the in-group. And until you earn that right, you are not going to be in. In other places, it's around spiritual gifts. The specific spiritual gifts, if you practice those spiritual gifts and have those spiritual gifts, then you're on the in-group and everybody else is not quite there yet. And there is significant judgment around that. Why do we do this? In some other churches, it's around marital strife. If your marriage isn't the best it could possibly be, then I guess you don't deserve to be in the in-group. Because if you're struggling with that, then you know. You know. Maybe you need to work on that before you step into something else. In and out. Even in politics, we see it. Particularly right now. We're all struggling with what's going on politically right now. And so much of it has to do with who feels like they're in and who feels like they're out and they're vying for power. And we need to pray for that. And we will during prayer time. In and out. And the list goes on and on and on until you look at this gospel. This gospel changes everything. But before getting there, I need to go back to the Old Testament a little bit. Remember those things that we call the Ten Commandments? And how do every one of those commandments begin? Thou shalt not. And we have grown up in a time, many of us, where it was all about the thou shalt nots. Was it not? All about the fact that if we don't practice this, then we're going to be out or God's going to be angry with us, and then we have to do certain things in order to get back in. Because the thou shalt nots were the things that absolutely dictated what we did here. It was a time where, and I believe that confession is good for the soul, but it was a time where, I remember those days where if you were Catholic, you had to go to confession every day. And if you really were struggling, three times a day. Because the thou shalt nots dictated everything. Even the Old Testament identifies those who were in and those who were out. Incredible, the struggle, and what that does to us. But now, then comes the Gospel of Matthew. Even in Matthew chapter 1, you've already heard this, but I want to repeat this. In Matthew chapter 1, we have this list of names, the begats. Nobody wants to read the begats because we don't really understand what the begats are all about other than this one's related to that one is related to that one these this is the genealogy of jesus but let's look even before that that first sentence in the gospel of matthew do you know what it says it's not the genealogy of jesus that's a mistranslation 
the language that's used there is exactly the same as the language used at Genesis 1.1. Basically, this is a time of new creation. It's amazingly powerful. But, but I'll get back to that in just a second. The generations can be divided into three very distinctive groups. Israel, the good years. The heroic years. But even in that Israel, the good years, those 14 generations identified there, there are some really bizarre names on that list. Then the next section is Israel, the terrible years. The years where they lost everything. And guess what? There are some really bizarre names, even evil names, on that list. And by the way, did I mention this is the genealogy of Jesus? And then the third section of 14 names, that's Israel, the re years of recovery, in quotes because they never really get there, at least according to the Bible. On that list are four women two of whom have really questionable pasts, and none of whom are Jewish. None of whom. Bathsheba is on that list, this Hittite woman. Tamar is on that list, and guess what she did for a living? And by the way, prostitute means the same then as it does now. She's on that list. But then comes, then comes the next person. And that next person is Mary. And I want to remind you, Mary should have been out. There was no reason that Mary should be in. She was pregnant out of wedlock. And that sin was punishable by death. Out of wedlock, yet betrothed. Punishable by death. But she's the next one on that list. And then comes Joseph, who shouldn't be on that list either, because Joseph forgave her. And then, by the way, as the list continues on into the Gospel of Matthew, then you have that bizarre human being named John the Baptist, who wore weird clothes, smelled terrible, and made everybody angry. Shouldn't he be out? But he wasn't. But then he doesn't even stop there because then you go to the selection of the few who were really going to be chosen. Those disciples, you talk about a motley crew. They smelled the fish. They weren't very smart. They really didn't want to be where they were going. And they just failed more than they succeeded. And yet they were the chosen. That is the Gospel of Matthew. So what is this about then? What Bev read this morning is saying what this is about is new beginnings. It's not erasing the past. It's saying that we embrace that past and yet at the same time it doesn't need to define the future. Are you hearing that? The past doesn't need to be erased. As a matter of fact, it needs to be embraced but it doesn't have to define the future. The future is defined not by the thou shalt nots. The future is defined by everybody's in and blessed are those who. 
And then what Matthew does after these first seven chapters, and we're going to go a little more deeply into this next week, is then he spends about 18 chapters describing exactly what that means in the actions of the one that we seek to follow. It's an incredible opportunity for us to think differently about our role. And what is that? I talked about it last week some. But let's go back again to Genesis for just a second. That whole story of the Garden of Eden is an amazingly powerful story, but we pass it off because we believe it to be you know, either myth or unreal or in such a different realm than anything that we could imagine. And yet the significance of that story of the Garden of Eden, whether you believe that to be true or whether you believe that to have some different point, we have to come to terms with that, even in the beginning of our study of Matthew. Because God's intent is described in that garden. And remember, God created perfection. God created a place where every need was fulfilled. God, according to story, created a place of absolute peace, yet with some rules that would help everyone be healthy. That, friends, is the Garden of Eden. And what we're being called to do today is to recreate those feelings, that atmosphere, or what this gospel writer calls heaven on earth. That's our role, to create that level of peace where everyone has what they need and where we are in relationships of trust. And that given that everybody's in, that's the beginning platform. I want to say that one more time. The beginning platform of everything we do. Everything. Is that everybody's in. What's interesting is how that comes into play. We struggle a great deal with that. I think many of us. We struggle a great deal with that being the beginning platform. We so desperately want to believe that maybe we're in and they're not because we so vehemently disagree with them. I want to repeat it. The beginning platform is everybody is in. Did you notice the language when Bev read? Even the least in the kingdom of God may not practice these things, but they're still in. Did you catch that? They're, they're still in. It's not up to us to judge. So let's stop doing it. It's up to us to live lives that are blessings to everyone, even those with whom we disagree. For then, Jesus goes into this incredible litany of, you've heard it said, but now I tell you. You've heard it said to hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but what I tell you is this. Pray for those who persecute you. Or, in other words, friends in second service, pray for those who are in first service, even though you may disagree with the fact that even in first service, 
and even now sitting in second service are these. <laughs> I'm just saying. And believe me, they got the same thing this morning. First service, pray for those who may worship differently than you. Everybody's in. What, what about those dang Democrats? Or those flippant Republicans? Or the worst of the lot, those libertarians? Everybody's in. And so we pray for them. And we love them. Wouldn't it be neat, wouldn't it be nice if this understanding now enfolded Washington, D.C. right now? And that's the platform at which they began. Wouldn't it be nice if it wasn't about power? But in this kingdom, it's not about power other than the power to love. Everybody's in. So what does this mean for us? It means that we don't say mean things about each other. It means that we don't call each other names. It means that we truly do understand and build acceptance among ourselves. It means that we create an environment that is somewhat unlike anything that we've seen, that this becomes the garden, the place where no matter who walks in this door, if we understand that everybody's in, it doesn't matter who walks in the door. But what we're trying to create is as soon as you walk in those doors or even as soon as you drive into the parking lot or drive through that incredible beauty down below, they feel a presence here. They feel something here. They believe that they have found home here because this truly is family. So my challenge to you, to every one of us, me included in this challenge, is where are those places where we are taking peace away? Where are those places even in the church where we are judging? Where we are dispelling peace? Where we are not talking to each other the way that God intends in this heavenly, new, on earth kingdom? This gospel is the gospel of God's intention. That's what you need to hear. That's why I want you to read it. Matter of fact, I want you to do more than read it. I want you to memorize it. Matter of fact, I want you to do more than memorize it. I want you to live it. And believe me, every time I write a sermon, I'm challenging myself more than you. Because I don't practice these things as well as I should either. But that's why we're all in this together. And we are all in this together. One other thing. If we begin with that platform that everybody's in, then we have a story to tell those who aren't yet here. Come to a place. Come to a place where no matter who you are or where you've been, no matter what you've done, how you live, you're in. And by the way, even if this is your first Sunday, will you help each of us get better about this? Then, we are creating an atmosphere where everybody can share truly who they are. 
as risky as that is, that is, that is the foundational piece of this gospel. And there's not a person outside of these doors who isn't looking for that. Everybody is in. You hear that? That's where we begin. Will you pray with me? God, this is hard. But again, our sign, even on Newport Way, says it well. Not all of us do this as well as we might. But this is a place where grace happens, where love happens, where acceptance happens, where we can disagree, but we do it with love. Where we can be there to support each other so much like this church has been for us in these last two and a half weeks. I thank you so much for that. And do believe that this church is at least partially responsible for Dorothy getting over what she has gotten over. God, I ask that you help us not leave this sanctuary without thinking more deeply about this. Of spending some time this week, even every day this week, looking at places where we can improve. For we hear the words, blessed are those who understand their spiritual poverty who cleanse their hearts in ways that allow them to be pure, who share mercy, for it is in sharing mercy that we experience it, and who, more significantly than anything, are the creators of peace, no matter where that lack of peace may be. Continue to help us be that church, all this we ask. And the one who really did show us how, Jesus Christ.